Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers, on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe that the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. We continue our series in the Gospel according to John, and we're in John chapter 9 with guest speaker Vince Rediger and his message, Sight for the Blind. Well, have you ever been walking in, in the dark? Maybe you guys ever been just walking in the dark? And, and you start walking maybe in the woods, and it's just, it's really, really dark. The first thing, if you're like me, you start to wonder what's out there, right? If it's pitch black, you hear something wrestling, you begin thinking, what was that? <laughs> what is that? You see something move, you hear something rustle, what was that? Like in the dark, there's this, this state of being where we long to know what, what is. Uh, we as people are people that are, we search for answers. We search for meaning. We search for truth. We want to know what's real. We see leaves turn colors in the fall. And we want to know why. We want to know how. How does that work? We see the ocean waters rise and fall, and our minds begin to wonder, why do they rise and fall? How do these tides work? We as humans, we hear stories around a campfire, a buddy sharing about a story, and we begin to try to decipher what's real and what's an elaboration. What's real in his story, and what's maybe he's stretching? But we want to know the truth. We want to know what is real. Like we're made in the image of God. We begin to desire. We want to know how did things begin? Where did we come from? Why do we exist? What will the future hold? These are just questions that we as individuals, as human beings who are made in the image of God, we begin to wrestle with those things. But sadly, sin has blinded us to the truth and left us needy and helpless, longing for understanding. We're going to see how Jesus in our story meets us in the darkness of our unknowing and our unbelief to give light to who God is to his work in the world, to his ways. And we're going to see in John chapter 9 how Jesus gives sight to a blind man to prove his claim that he is the light of the world. Jesus made a claim in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. And John is recording this event in John chapter 9 to prove that Jesus is the light of the world. So we're going to look at this in a couple of ways. We're going to look at humanity's condition. What's our condition as human beings? And then we're going to look at Jesus and his demonstration of who he is. And then we're going to just look at one takeaway for us. So if you want to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 9. 
We'll read through it together. John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He looks kind of like him, but that's not him. He kept saying, I am the man. I am him. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. I was blind when he sent me there. <laughs> I didn't see which way he went. They brought to the Pharisees a man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and they asked him, Is this your son who was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son. Every parent knows their children, right? <laughs> we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes? Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called him back in, the man who had been blind, and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I love that. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. I sensed like a spirit of like sarcasm in his voice. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? And they just react, you know. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Puffed up chess. We know that this, 
that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. I love this. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So as we read in this story, we see this condition of humanity. That, that people are just negligent and neglectful of their spiritual blindness. That as people, we are simply neglectful to our own spiritual blindness. John's recording this story, and in this story, this blind man is a picture and a representation of humanity's spiritual blindness before God. As John's writing this, he's doing something deeper in this story to portray this theology that we as human beings are like this blind man. We are spiritually blind. This story is this public demonstration that Jesus is the light of the world who breaks in to those who are blinded in darkness. Like humanity, we are completely helpless and lost. Just like this man born blind from birth, we too, when it comes to God, are blinded and completely helpless and needy. We're blinded to God or blinded to his ways because of sin. And, and in the story, we see this picture that, that Jesus didn't come into a world full of sinners that were aware of their need and eager to get rid of it. Jesus came into a world of sinners who were blinded to their own sin, to their own need for a Savior. So the disciples, they, they see this blind man, and, and they begin to question this man's spiritual state. Uh, the, the common view in this time, and even maybe sometimes in today, that if somebody is suffering, it's because they've sinned. That the, the common view was if you were suffering, it was because there was sin in your life. And so they begin to wrestle with, if this man was born blind at birth, either his parents sinned, and now he's suffering because of his parents sinned, or maybe he sinned in the womb? You know, Jacob and Esau and that whole story, did he sin in the womb and now he's suffering? And, and Jesus is breaking into this story and, and I want you to see this, that some sin does lead to suffering, but not all suffering is a result of a specific sin. 
It's detrimental if, if we see somebody suffering and, and we claim that their suffering is because they have sinned in some way before God. Now, it's true in a sense that all suffering is the result of living in a sinful and broken world. We live in a world that is corrupted, that is broken by sin, and therefore there is suffering. We can't claim that a specific suffering case is the result of sin. So Jesus responds to this man's suffering with, with grace and redeeming actions. And in a sense, I feel like Jesus' answer is completely inadequate. I don't like Jesus' answer. Like, well, which is it? Why did this man suffer? Like, Jesus' answer is, is almost inadequate in that he doesn't actually explain and address why this man is suffering. He says it's not because of his sin. It's not because of his parents' sin. And as, as people, we tend to find fault and blame in the face of human need and suffering. We want to know what caused it. But Jesus shifts the focus on how his coming addresses the need, the suffering, the sin. Jesus says in verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Now you guys are doing some textual criticism in Sunday school, which is, man, awesome. In Greek, there's no like punctuation. Um, so, so one of these things is we read this passage in the, the punctuation. It likely reads like this. It was not that this man sinned or his parents. Pause. But that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. So Jesus is just saying, it's not because of his sin or his parents' sin. Next point. So that the works of God may be done. He sent me to do something. And, and I want you to see the focus of Jesus is not giving an explanation for suffering, but he's wanting to point that he is the answer to suffering and to sin. That God has sent him to specifically address the problem of suffering and sin. I, I am here to work the works of him who sent me. Like so while Jesus' answer may be inadequate and that it doesn't fully answer the question that we want to know, why is he suffering? Jesus is, is pointing to the reality that he is the answer to sin and suffering in an abundantly generous and redeeming way. He points them to the fact that he is the answer, that this man's blindness led him to encounter the gracious and redeeming work of the Son of God. So we see humanity in this picture of this blind man that we are spiritually blind and helpless before God, and that God has sent his son to address our greatest need. So we see Jesus step into this picture, and we see that Jesus graciously gives sight to the blind and blinds the self-sighted. That he graciously gives sight to the blind, but yet the self-sighted 
are further blinded to the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus graciously heals the blind man to show that he is the light of the world. This is where it says, it's not that this man has sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Before my coming death, the night that is coming, when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Like Jesus graciously heals this blind man to reveal that he is the light of the world, that he is sent by God to reveal God and his ways. And Jesus heals him with mud, like reflecting God making Adam and Eve out of the dust of the earth. Jesus takes the dust, makes mud, anoints the man's eyes, making his sight new giving him brand new sight. It's a beautiful picture. This healing power, it doesn't come from the mud. It doesn't come from the pool of Siloam. It doesn't come from the man's obedience. It comes from the power of the sent son of God. We see this miracle take place. This miracle of of Jesus graciously giving sight to the blind. But there begins to become this mounting debate about Jesus that reveals the blindness of the self-sighted. Self-sighted is not in the dictionary, but we're going to work on getting it in there, okay? It's a word that I'm coining today. Self-sighted. As you think of Proverbs, a man wise in his own eyes. They're blind, but they believe that they can see that they're reliant on their own understanding, their own wisdom, their own ways. And they've been blinded to the reality of who Jesus is. So these people begin to debate. They begin to debate the miracle, the miracle worker. While this man who is blind and now his sight is made new testifies to who Jesus is, to what Jesus has done. Verse 8 The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. It's me, guys. (laughs) So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. These Pharisees begin debating about who he is. So they take him to the religious experts. Like, if we can't figure out what's going on, let's bring him to the Pharisees. These are the religious experts. Let them address it. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. 
But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said he is a prophet. The Pharisees are brought in and they're troubled by this man breaking their rules for the Sabbath. He's, he's doing pottery work. Jesus is making pottery with the clay. He's breaking our Sabbath rules. He can't be from God. So they begin to interrogate the man. He broke their rules. He's not keeping the Sabbath holy. But the formerly blind man, he testifies a little bit more succinctly and cautiously about what Jesus was. Gives testimony. He, he's got to be a prophet. He's got to be from God, sent by God to make God known. I don't really know who he is, but he's got to be from God. The Pharisees were self-sided and reliant upon their own ability to know God. They pridefully trusted in themselves. And as they pridefully trusted in themselves, they began to resist Jesus. The reality of what he had done to give sight to this blind man. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents. So they, they call his parents in because they, they can't synthesize and put together what's going on. He's got to be lying. So they call in the parents. And the parents feared answering because there was already this mounting opposition to Jesus. That if you claim Jesus to be the Christ or the Messiah, you were kicked out of the synagogue. So the parents are like, man, our son's old enough. Over 13, we don't know how old he is, but he's old enough, you can ask him. So the Pharisees, so self-sided and blind, continued to develop in their unbelief and rejection of who Jesus was. And their unbelief continued to further just how blind they were. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Like they're, they're seeking to pressure this man into admitting that Jesus was a sinner. They weren't intent on, on learning the truth, but proving that Jesus was a sinner who broke their rules. They were self-sighted, trusting in their own understanding wise in their own eyes, relying on themselves. So they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. If you have kids, uh, picture your kids, you know, you, you walk into the kitchen, uh, there's a trail of crumbs, and, and the cookies are gone. And, and, and you, you ask your child, like, did you eat the cookies? And they're like, nope. Nope. <laughs> you ask them again. Okay, be honest with me now. You ate the cookies, didn't you? Right? And, and, and it's almost in this like leading way to like, okay, come on, just admit it. I, I need you to tell the truth. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. Like, you, you have to be lying. This man's got to be a sinner. Like, like, come on, give glory to God. Let's be honest now. He's a sinner, right? Just, just tell us the truth. And they're trying to pressure him in to admitting that Jesus was a sinner, that he had broken their rules for keeping the Sabbath. 
So they're pressuring him into this. They're rejecting Jesus. The Pharisees have rejected the testimony of the blind man. They've rejected the miraculous power that Jesus displayed in giving a man born blind brand new sight and making new his eyes. Like, and they rejected that he had come from God. The formerly blind man begins to testify to the truth of the miracle, to its significance, saying that Jesus had to be from God. I've already told you. You would not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The Pharisees claimed to follow Moses, the one that God spoke to. Yet their unbelief caused them to reject the very sent one of God. And this is where this man responds. Why, this is an amazing thing. Verse 30, you don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So these people are claiming, we, we follow Moses, and God spoke to Moses. And as John is recording this man's word, he, he's painting this picture that God spoke to Moses, but he listens to Jesus. Like while God spoke to Moses on the mountain, he listens to Jesus. Jesus carries with him the very power of God as the sent son of God. So these hard-hearted Pharisees are missing they continue developed in their self-sighted blindness. And in a sense, they like illogically confess that the man had been born blind and healed by Jesus. You see this in verse 34. They answered him, after this blind man who's been healed gives them a theology lesson. Like they, they reject him and they say, you were born in utter sin. Like you were born a sinner, you were born blind and you would teach us. Like, so they almost, in a sense, illogically confirm that this man was born blind, encountered Jesus, and now can see. But because they're so hard-hearted, they're so self-sighted, they failed to see what Jesus has done in giving this blind man new sight, as only somebody sent by God could do. And we see that people's response to Jesus, it either brings new sight or darkening blindness. Like when Jesus shows up, we see these two pictures of one people developing a darkening blindness to who God is, to who Jesus is, to others who experience new sight, new ability to see and relate to this living God. There's nothing more fundamental about you than what you believe about Jesus. There's nothing more fundamental that influences your life, that shapes who you are, than what you believe about Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is good, if you really believe that Jesus is good, 
You don't start searching for satisfaction in all these things. You find satisfaction in Jesus. If you really believe that Jesus is great, you begin to not be worried about the circumstances of life because you know that Jesus is greater than anything else, that he is worthy of your trust. So there's nothing more fundamental about you than what you believe about Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know that that God wants you to know him. Our God is a God who desires to be made known. He's not not hiding back and and hiding away and, and making it hard for you to know him. He wants to be made known. He has sent his own son to make himself known, to save you. He has given you his word that you can know him, that you can hear from him. He has put other people in your life to help you know him, to walk with him together. Our God is a God that wants to be made known, who has sent his son so that we could have a personal relationship with him. Those who that admit their blindness, they receive mercy and grace and new sight before God. I love this verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. I just love this picture of Jesus initiating this encounter. That Jesus pursues this man. He pursues him. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? This man answered, and who is he? Like, I know who the Son of Man is, but but who exactly is it? Tell me that I might believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Notice the change in how this man addresses Jesus. The first time is, and who is he, sir? And then Jesus says, it's me. I am the son of man. I am the Messiah. I am the sent one from God. And the man responds, Lord, I believe. And he worships Jesus. Man, Jesus has given this man sight, has given him mercy and grace the blind man both recognized his physical need but also his spiritual need. And thus he received mercy and healing or salvation both physically and eternally. This man recognized his need to see. Help me, God, to know you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Help me to see you. Jesus revealed himself as a son of man to the one who admitted his need. Jesus' encounter, this man's faith, resulted in this man's new sight, his new view of Jesus as a sent son of God. Jesus then goes on and he says in verse 37, or 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? You're not saying that we're blind too, are you? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, if you were needy, if you were helpless, crying out for illumination, you would have no guilt. You would have no guilt of unbelief. But now that you say, we see, yeah, we, we, we got sight, that self-sighted lies in their own eyes, your guilt remains. Their guilt of unbelief and rejection of the Son of God. So those who pridefully reject their blindness remain in the sin of unbelief. The Pharisees were guilty of unbelief and rejection of the Son of God who came to help them see God, to save them, to restore them back into a right relationship with God. And their unbelief led to a further spiritual blindness and helplessness. Because if you reject the one that God has sent, if you reject the reality that you're blind, like there's nowhere else to go. There's no other help. And so they've, they've rejected Jesus, which has only led to this deepening blindness, this deepening darkness. This is where we, we need Jesus to show up, to graciously work to give sight to the blind, but is reliant upon our understanding that we are sinners, broken and in need of God's grace and forgiveness. So as we look through this passage, we, we see humanity's condition, that just naturally as human beings, we diminish, we neglect the spiritual reality that we are in need of a Savior. Jesus didn't show up into a world that, that recognizes that they're sinners. There's, there's nothing new in our culture about this, this idea of like we don't have sin. That's been going on for a long time takes Jesus showing up and helping us see, helping people see that they are in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus shows up and he encounters and he gives sight to the blind. That those who cry out for him, he restores their sight. Not just physically, but spiritually. He gives us sight to see God, to experience him. So I want to leave you with, with a takeaway. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you are a formerly blind man who now has a relationship with God, who sees him, who knows him, and help others to see the light of the world. God sent Jesus to be the light of the world, to make himself known, to make his ways known. God hasn't hidden himself. Our God is a God that desires and wants to be made known. And he's invited us into that process. Like he's given us his word. He's given us his spirit to make himself known. He's sending me and you out to represent him, to make him known among the nations. So I want to challenge you. Who are three people that you know that don't know Jesus? Maybe write their names down. Who is God calling you to testify before about who he is, about what he has done in your life and live to help others see the light of the world?
If you're lost in the woods, you're walking through the woods in the dark, there's nothing greater than sharing your light. Have you ever been in the woods with somebody? Just imagine you're walking through the woods and you have a friend, right? And your friend's got a flashlight and they just, they take off and they leave you behind. Like things are scary. There's nothing more gracious, more loving than walking by somebody with that light and helping them see. We're called into those, to being that light, to allowing others access to see the light of the world, to bringing Jesus before people and sharing who he is and what he has done. I want you to see it's not on you to make God known. It's not on you to make God known. God does that. God makes himself known. It's our role to speak of who he is, to speak of what he has done for us, to testify of his work in us and through us. So keep in mind that only Jesus can give sight to the blind. Testify to the Jesus that you've encountered, to the sent son of God who saved you, who changed you, and revealed God and his ways to you. Man, Jesus can give sight to the blind. There is hope for our world, and his name is Jesus. So we speak of him. We magnify him. We ask him to make himself known through us. For us, me and my family, we, we have felt God stirring in this call to, to make him known in, in Utah County. Um, it started about 11 years ago. Um, we had just graduated from Corbin University in Dallas, in Salem, Oregon. And we're on our way to Dallas, Texas uh, to go to seminary. We had a big heart for the unreached and for the mission field. And, and on our way, we stopped in Salt Lake City, kind of on a whim. Um, and we went through and we visited the Mormon Visitor Center. And, and we walked through and we had these conversations with, with LDS people or Mormons. And, and we begin to like see this picture of a people who are trying to earn their way to heaven, who are trying to earn God's love, earn his forgiveness, earn his grace. We saw people who had been blinded and deceived into thinking that they knew Jesus, but they'd been blinded to the true grace and forgiveness that comes through Jesus. So as we like left Salt Lake City, we just had this burden for these people. And I remember joking with my wife, um, when we retire from the mission field, we should come here. We should come to the heart of LDS, to the heart of Mormonism. We went on, went to seminary, and ended back up in Dallas, Oregon. And about three years ago, we were at our uh, regional meetings in Seaside. Shameless plug for that. Those are great. You should go to them. Um, and we were there, and we heard somebody from Utah come and share about the need in, in Utah. And, and our hearts just got heavy. And I just, I just saw this need and this burden for this place. And, and I just began wrestling with, God, is this something that you have for our church? Maybe you want us to do a mission trip? Is this something that you're stirring in me? And, and I began praying. And we entered into this just season of talking about it, talking with others, praying with people, 
trying to discern. We did some vision trips to Utah just to kind of explore, to ask, like, is this something that you have for us, God? About this last winter, we, we were just sitting in this season of, like, just burdened for this place, for Utah County, and, and not knowing how to really go forward, but feeling the sense of that was where God was calling us. Um, and I just was praying about it, and just time and time again, God just kept bringing up, like, do you trust me? Do you trust me, Vince? So I went to my wife, and I was like, hey, Jesse, I think God is asking us to go and trust him. And she looked to me, and she was like, I think God's asking me the same thing. It's kind of one of those moments where you're like, ah, oh, shoot, okay. <laughs> I guess we're going. Um, so we're, we're going to Utah County. It's a place that desperately needs the gospel. Um, it's the least reached metro city in the U.S. It's less than 1% evangelical Christian. Over 85% are LDS or Mormon. It's severely lacking in churches and believers to represent Jesus, to tell of the Jesus that God sent, his own son, to die and rise again so that we could be restored back into a relationship with him. Utah County, uh, it's living under the crushing weight of trying to be good enough to be right with God. Uh, Utah County, 85% LDS. Um, If you meet LDS people, they are incredibly kind, incredibly just great people to be around. But some statistics that, that reveal the underlying just sin that they are burdened with and in need of grace and forgiveness. Utah County, 85% LDS. They lead the nation in online pornography usage. They lead the nation in prescription drug abuse. They lead the nation in antidepressant usage. Teen suicide is two times the national average. Uh, All things under the surface of people trying so hard to have it together, to be right with God, where it's dependent upon themselves and yet living under the crushing weight of sin, needing the grace and forgiveness of Jesus to save them, to change them. So we want to go and and start a church. We want to go and tell people about the gospel of grace and let God make himself known through us. We want to be in our communities praying, praying, living in our neighborhoods, like whether it's going to the gym, coaching sports, uh, serving the community, frequenting local establishments frequently, which apparently there's not a lot of coffee shops, so I'm a little worried about that. Um, (laughs) But we want to go and make God known. We want to go and make disciples and plant a community of faith that seeks to know Jesus and to make him known. And we feel called to to plant a church that intentionally invites people into not just attending, but participating in the rescuing and transforming love of Jesus. We're going not to create a church so that people have a place to come and see about Jesus, but we're going to create a community of believers that are going to tell others 
about the incredible and ridiculous love of Jesus and what he has done for us. We want to go and we want to send out disciples to take the gospel to the unreached. The reality is, is Utah County doesn't need just one more church. If we just think that, okay, we need to go and plant one church and mission done, we've done it. And we are incredibly short-sighted. It doesn't need just one more church. It needs a church in every town. It needs a church in every neighborhood. It needs believers inhabiting every workplace, every neighborhood, every community, helping make Jesus known. And so we're committed to seeing disciples who make disciples to being a pastor who equips and sends out other pastors and leaders, and to being a church plant that plants new churches. We want to keep things simple. We want to keep things intentional. And we want to keep things reproducible so that the focus remains on knowing Jesus and making him known. So that we can see the gospel go to the unreached, both in Utah County and to the ends of the earth. And I want to thank you for listening to how God is calling us to church planting in Utah County. And I'd love to talk with you afterwards uh, to hear how God is at work in your life, how he's making himself known to you, how he's making himself known through you. But I'd like to ask you to be a part of taking the gospel to Utah County. First, would you consider being a part of our prayer team? And we have a newsletter that you can sign up for, that you can read about what's going on and how to be praying for our family. Secondly, will you partner with us by joining our financial support team? Uh, you can join us in helping launch a church and get things started in Utah County, whether that's a one-time gift or monthly support. Uh, thirdly, maybe you work remotely. Or maybe you can spend five years and go somewhere else. Maybe God's stirring in you to move to Utah County. Some of the most successful church plants have, have other people that are about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Join them on mission. Will you spend God stirring? Make sure you're praying with your pastors. We'd love to invite you to come with us to make God known in Utah County. It's a gift that God has saved us and invited each of us into a new life with him. It's a gift that he's called each of us, wherever we live, whatever we do, to live for the fame and glory of the one who died to reconcile us back to God, to bring us into a relationship with the living God. We live in a world that is desperately needs the grace and salvation that comes only through Jesus. So if I can remind you, don't be shocked by people's rejection of their blindness. Recognize that they need to encounter Jesus and his grace. Point people to him. Point them to Jesus who gives sight to the blind. That they may encounter him. That they would put their faith in him. May God use each of us to help those that God has put in our life to make known the grace and forgiveness and mercy of the Son of God who gave us new sight, who saved us and reconciled us back to him. Let me pray. Dear Father, we come before you. We thank you for your incredible grace and love to us. We thank you for the work that you have done through Jesus 
to make yourself known, to save us. I thank you that you have invited us into a relationship with you where we get to know you personally. And you've invited us to be a part of the process of making you known. I thank you that you are at work in this world seeking to make yourself known and we get to be a part of what you are doing. Father, we pray for those in our lives that, that don't know you or that they would be aware of their need for you. They would turn to you and receive the grace and mercy and forgiveness that comes only through Jesus. Would you show us how you desire to use us to speak of you and what you have done in such a way that, that draws people into a deeper awareness and a longing for the God who created them and desires to know them. Father, we thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Thank you.